Well, as you have joined us today in the service, our continual prayer is that it has been meaningful for you. Uh, and that even through the worship and the prayer and the time together so far, uh, our prayer is that you've encountered the presence of God or the Spirit of God in some way. You know, as we continue and dive into the Word of God in just a moment, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been praying through the Psalms. And as I began a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 19, just looking at why would we pray through the Psalms, well, ultimately, we're praying through the Psalms because we're praying for revival. Uh, you know, as David and a few others have put together all these poems and these Psalms that just really speak to the whole uh, kind of experience of humanity and the, the kind of everything that it entails of being human, you know, from joy to depression, from thankfulness to doubt, from praising God to doubting or questioning God. You know, we journey through these psalms and we see all these experiences. And so we come before God and we say, okay, God, we're going to pray these psalms that you've given to us. But ultimately, we're praying that you would revive us, that you would reawaken us, that you would reveal yourself to us. And so today, as we continue, we're going to be getting into one of the Psalms of David that is just, it's this powerful, beautiful Psalm, incredibly well-known Psalm. And of course, uh, you probably would, when we start reading it in a few minutes, you'll go, yeah, I know that Psalm and, and it resonates with me. But before we get to that psalm, obviously there's some backstory, there's some context, there's some history to this. You know, when I think about the psalms having been written by David, uh, King David in scripture is referred to as the man with a heart after God, uh, or, or a man after God's own heart. And it's this fascinating story of this individual that God calls and anoints. You know, David is born in Bethlehem. He's the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. Uh, we read in the account of David's life in those early years, he was smaller by comparison than his brothers. In fact, David's job as this young boy, as this youngest son and youngest brother, was to take care of the sheep. You know, none of his brothers or none of the rest of the family wanted to do that. And, and these sheep were kind of getting lost. And so it's left to the youngest son to go and care for the sheep. But even as we read through this, you know, as these sheep would wander off and, and get lost, so David would literally put his life on the line to protect those sheep. And he would fight off predators and, and keep them safe from that. But we know that in those years of tending to the sheep and, and all that that entails, this is where David grew in his depth with God and grew in his love and relationship with his heavenly father. David had this gift for writing down his thoughts, for, for capturing the emotional experiences, for capturing the things that he would ponder. Uh, and he writes them into these psalms and into these songs. In fact, as David comes up later on, even Samuel sees this heart after God, and, and Samuel refers to it. It's, it's almost, I don't want to say Samuel was jealous of it, but Samuel identified it and, and kind of said, you know, there's something, there's, here's a man after God's own heart. And when David was still young, his brothers are off fighting the Philistines and, and David's father sends him off with some supplies for his brothers and says, go and find word, go and find out how your brothers are doing. 
So David takes these supplies off and he gets to his brothers and, and his, the fellow Israelites as they're camped on one side of the valley and on the other side of the valley are these Philistine armies that are mocking the Israelites. And, and David notices this, this strange sight in the middle of the enemy forces. And he sees this giant, and of course we know that this is Goliath, but David sees this giant, and this giant taunting uh, the nation of Israel and the people of God, and, and kind of there's nobody prepared to stand up and fight. But we know the story. David sort of goes, well, hold on. If God is for me and God has helped me protect sheep from these predators, well, then God can help me against Goliath. And of course, that story unfolds and David slays Goliath. David takes down Goliath and defeats him. And in that moment, David becomes this national hero for the people of Israel as God has helped him. And at this point, Saul, the king at that time, kind of, Saul becomes jealous of the fame over David. And in fact, Saul wants to kill David occasionally, but David protects, God, sorry, protects David. And we know that the reason God protects David is because God has had him anointed by his prophets, that he would be the king. And so we see this man, David, a man after God's own heart. And there's this, this sense that sometimes as we read through the story, I don't know about you, but, but I read through the story and I'm almost envious. Here's someone who, who has this title, a man after God's own heart, a person who pursues God, who desires God, who has this close walk with God. But you know what? David's not perfect. David is human. David is prone to making mistakes. And in fact, today's psalm is based on that mistake. And the story is recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And I'll explain it or kind of summarize it now. But I would encourage you, go and read 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12 to just get the full gist of this story. By way of summary, David's troops are out. They're, they're in battle. They're fighting. And David is back at home. I mean, right there, there's the problem. David should be out with his troops. David should be leading the charge. But David is at home. And he's kind of just parking off, I guess. And, and we read that one night he goes out onto the rooftop of his home. And, and I don't know quite how it lays out or what happens. But from his rooftop, he sees a woman bathing. Uh, and and he, he kind of notices her. And, and in this, this lust-fueled kind of conflict, fronting of that, David has her brought back to his palace. And he abuses his power and he abuses his position and he sleeps with this woman and gets her pregnant. And of course now David realizes and David knows, uh-oh, I've done something bad here. I've, I've sinned. This is not good. I'm going to get found out for this. So David arranges to have this woman's husband, who is off fighting, he, he arranges to have the husband brought back. And this husband is far too noble. He, he refuses to go and sleep with his wife. So David, kind of caught now, realizes, well, this is going to end badly for me. So David decides to have this husband killed in battle. In fact, we read he sends the husband off and he gives commands to the generals over him to put this guy in the worst part of the fighting and then back off. 
effectively leaving him there. And this is what happens. And the, the husband is killed. And so David kind of thinks, okay, great. Now nobody will find out. Uh, and so David brings the woman, brings Bathsheba back into his home and marries her and makes, him, makes her his wife. And now David thinks everything's fine. Everything's, nobody knows it's, it's all good. <laughs> so the man, after God's own heart, has just broken, I count five out of the Ten Commandments, David has just broken. And how do, how do you get to that place? Kind of reminds me that, well, the human heart can be a pretty dark place. Not only David, but as David commits the sin, if, if I look at my life, I'm like, you know what, yes, there are times when sin is, seems just so easy to give in to, and, and this is what David does. I heard somebody once say that we have not all sinned alike, but we all alike have sinned. And what I mean by that, or what this person meant, was that sin for all of us is just, it comes naturally. We might like to try and justify our sin, but then condemn somebody else's sin. You know, I could use so many examples we might be driving along and we'll see somebody in traffic breaking some rule, whether it's a speed limit, whether it's texting while driving, whatever the case might be. We'll see somebody breaking a rule and, and we'll be quick to point it out and condemn them when not just a few moments later, we ourselves will break the same rule. But we'll justify it and we'll explain why we're okay within this. The problem is we all sin. We all do the wrong thing. And sin always has a cost. If I go back to David's story with David and Bathsheba and, and kind of the, the consequence of what happened there, you know, the consequence of sin is death. And the law would say that those who break the law, especially in the way David has, are to pay with their life. Yeah, but David still thinks that it's a secret sin. And, and so David doesn't think it's going to cost him his life. But when we read that account, that sin does end in death. This child that they've conceived, this child is born to Bathsheba. But within a week of birth, that child dies. And, and David's family kind of turn against him, and we'll read in a moment. And his, his enemies sought to kill him for the rest of his life. And David's life was a big mess. But God wasn't done with David yet. So David sins. But David is the man who gets a second chance. And this is what blows me away as we get into the psalm in a few moments. It's that just as David gets this second chance, just as David gets this redemption, we can draw encouragement from it because no matter how terrible our lives might be and no matter where we might be in terms of the consequences of our own sin, we're never too far gone. God doesn't write us off. Here is David, the man after God's own heart who commits this, in, this atrocity, this sin that is just so heinous, yet God restores and forgives him. You know, David's life starts to fall apart. Uh, he's living with the consequences of his sin, but he's also living with the, the guilt of his sin. 
You know, and as David's kind of processing what's happened, uh, one day the preacher, Nathan, comes before David. And, and this is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and it's just this beautiful story because Nathan the prophet doesn't come before David and just outright accuse him. I think Nathan was wise enough to know if I do that, my life could end prematurely. And so Nathan tells this beautiful story of, of a, a farmer and, uh, who has this one sheep and how this sheep is taken away and slaughtered and sacrificed. And it's this powerful story. And, and David gets riled up by the story. And David kind of shouts out to Nathan. He says, that man deserves to die. And then Nathan looks at David and goes, David, you are that man. And David, kind of in that moment, is suddenly aware of the sin he's committed. And, and he's aware of just how terrible, uh, kind of the consequences, the action, just the whole thing is. And David acknowledges, I've sinned against the Lord. Uh, can you imagine, in that moment, of having committed this sin, of being aware that you have violated God's rule and God's command and done something as terrible as what he did. Can you imagine being in that place and trying to hide that sin, yet still aware of it and still kind of processing it internally? And just when you think you've covered it up enough, suddenly it's brought out and it's exposed. And David kind of in that moment wonders what's going to happen. And Nathan the prophet speaks and, and he encourages David and, and he says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, he says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. You see, God knew David's heart. God understood David better than David even understood himself. God saw in David something he could work with that he intended to work with. In fact, when David was anointed king by, the, uh, by Samuel, uh, it, Samuel speaks and says, God does not look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And God knew that David knew the full ramification and the weight of his sin. And so David pens for us Psalm 51. The psalm of confession, the psalm of repentance, this psalm that moves us. If ever we find ourselves in that position of being aware of the weight of our own sin, of, of just what we've done. And so the psalm encourages us to come back to God and to, in a sense, cry out, Oh God, forgive me. And it's this beautiful psalm of, of confession and of forgiveness. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Psalm 51 as we read Psalm 51 from the NIV. And it begins with the backstory. Psalm 51, for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. 
Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praises. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. And when I read that powerful psalm, when I see the things David prayed, when I see David acknowledging just his own sin, how it's always before him, he's aware. He doesn't need somebody else coming in and pointing it out any longer because he sees it, he knows it. Nathan really just forced him to confront what he knew. And as he sees the sin and, and as he sees kind of where he's got to and as he sees how that leads to death and destruction, even in his own physical body, and, and, and he suddenly acknowledges, God, I've sinned against you. It's a, it's a fascinating reminder that though we may sin and hurt others, ultimately our sin is an offense against God, infinitely holy. And so David acknowledges the sin. And then as he confesses, as he, he brings the sin, and as he realizes just how broken his heart is, so he prays, God, restore me. And we know that God does. God still builds. God still uses. God redeems him and gives him the second chance. David is restored. David again goes on to do great things for God. And that's David's story. But as I read this psalm, I'm left asking, well, what about my story? What about your story? Where are you in, in your walk and in your journey and in your relationship with God? I want you to know that today as we go through the psalm, no one is too far gone. No one is irredeemable. 
No one is ever in that place where God cannot renew and revive and rebuild. And when we come like David before God and we confess and we acknowledge, that's when God steps in and does something incredible. We all have failures. We all kind of have these failures, these fumbles, these flops. The Bible calls it sin. When we miss that mark of what God calls us to do, we sin. And the Bible reminds us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You don't need me coming and pointing out because you already know. We are all sinners. We are all prone to sin. We all stumble. We all fall. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And sin has a cost. In fact, Romans chapter 6 goes on to say in Romans 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death. David knew that. David understood by breaking the law, by breaking God's commandments, the punishment was death. The wages of sin is death. Yet Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We deserve to die for our sin. Death was necessary. Death was a requirement. And God said, I love you so much, I will show you. And Jesus steps in and says, I will offer my life. And I will lay down my life to pay the price required. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says, If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and, and when I read this, I, I'm blown away that my sin never drives me so far from God that I cannot be restored and redeemed. Because Jesus has brought reconciliation. And Jesus brings redemption to those who will acknowledge their sin and confess their sin before God. God offers to each one of us, God offers to you and to me every day that second chance, that opportunity. Our failures and our sins don't have to define us. We can find forgiveness and a journey back into the presence of God. You know, you may accept Christ as Lord and Savior, or maybe you don't know where you kind of fall on that. Maybe you're just journeying into discovery of who Jesus is. But I know each one of us needs that second chance. Even as Christians, even as those who would say they're in Christ, those who, who profess faith in Jesus, we need that second chance. We need forgiveness. And just as David prayed in that psalm, Psalm 51, when David said, have mercy on me, he went on to say, cleanse me. He went on to cry out, create a new heart in me. Restore my joy and deliver me. Just as David prayed that and said that, so too we're invited to pray the same prayer. So too we're invited before God to say, God, have mercy on me. Cleanse me. 
Create a new heart in me. Restore me and deliver me. And when we do that, God says, yes. Yes, in Jesus Christ, I have done that. And I will continue to do that. You might feel far from God today as you watch. And I want you to know you're only a prayer away from coming home to your heavenly father. Don't dwell on the sin. Don't allow Satan to condemn and, and force you to focus on that and, and almost try and lie to you to say, look, you're, you're the sum total of your sins. God will never take you back. God will never forgive you. You may as well just run away from God. Don't believe that lie from Satan. Today, as we read Psalm 51 together, let us come out before God and say, oh God, forgive me. Give me a second chance. To which God will say, yes, yes. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we read Psalm 51, and as we look at the life story of David and, and the situation and the, the story that led to the psalm, you know, we marvel at the fact that a man with a heart after God could firstly commit such atrocious acts. And sometimes we find it easy to point out people like David and, and condemn and accuse. Yet what should blow us away is the fact that you offer forgiveness to those who cry out for forgiveness, to those who acknowledge their own sin. And so God, today as we read through this, I pray you would help us Turn our eyes away and off those that we might seek to condemn and help us to see what you're pointing out in us. And just as Nathan stood before David and said, David, you are that man. God, I pray that we would hear those words. And then rather than trying to run away in shame and guilt and fear, Father, may we hear that invitation to life as we learn to confess before you, and as we learn to cry out, oh God, forgive me. Because God, we know that when we do that, you are quick to forgive. And you offer us life and eternal life in your presence. Holy Spirit, come and draw us back into that place. May we experience that second chance as we come before you. For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.